What is crackalackin' Bell Thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with some more Hardware Knox Hoops Talk. Uh, before we get started, the usual reminders, please remember to rate, review, subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast. If you're on YouTube, hit that sub button, like, comment, help the algorithm always back. Also, I've the same Knicks fan has been downvoting us on all these different podcast platforms. Um, so if anyone wants to go in there, throw us some ratings and reviews on Apple and Spotify, that would help. Um, it's some different variation of the same screen name. I get these wrap-up reports every week, and we've been getting a lot of one votes. I don't even think we talked that much about the Knicks lately, but it's clearly a Knicks fan. Um, shout out to us for, I guess, angering people so much that they want to download our podcast for that. But please help us uh, rebound from some of these weird ratings inundations. Join our Discord. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description. Uh, follow us on all the socials at Hardwood Knox on TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter, and then at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. That'll do it. I figured I would just bounce around to talk some just like general NBA news and rumors. Um, if we want some TMI session, though, I am recording this, even though I wasn't going to record this because as our Discord members might know, I just took a little bit of time to unplug the past few days. I wrapped up a like 12 month diet and training program for people. I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I'm like a wannabe fitness bodybuilding enthusiast. I don't look like it. Uh, the past 12 months, though, I really dialed in with my diet, fucking with macros and uh, micronutrients. Um, really changed my training. I did put on a lot of weight. Um, I got up to like one, which is hard for me, like 191, 193. I don't know if I ever really maintained 193, so it might have been closer to 190, 191. Then the last four months, though, were spent like going through a physique-style contest prep cut. Um, it was fucking hard. I thought my wife was probably going to divorce me by the end of it, and I finished it, though. Um, took a few days to like kind of just eat in not intuitively but counterintuitively like i ate i ate a lot of cheesecake um so that was a lot of fun but it took just a little bit of a break wasn't as active in discord um and shout out to everyone who there were we had people dm me um who watched me on youtube um that asked if i was sick um just because i guess my i didn't notice it as much because i see myself every single day unfortunately um but i guess my face was sunken in i had some people come to the gym and say stuff to me my some of my family members were concerned so i didn't notice it in real time it's not the healthiest thing to do but it gave me just like a you know i wrote about this on instagram it gave me something to focus on a distraction amid what was just a a very un like uncertain and stressful year like it was for everybody so i thoroughly enjoy that stuff I'm excited to really do it all over again, maybe have a coach this time, but if you needed the TMI information and also just as a, I kept meaning to mention it that no, I'm not sick. If there was enough people that asked me if I was okay. Um, and I'm always going to look tired just because I don't sleep enough, but I, it was really cool that like, it's, you're not randos on the internet. If you're watching and listening to me or strangers on the internet, like it was actually genuinely nice that people were concerned. It's like the feedback when we've talked about the future of the podcast, that stuff is just really humbling and super appreciative of it. So I didn't feel the need to, it wasn't, it wasn't droves. I think I got like mate, it was fewer than half a dozen messages about it, but it was enough to where I was like, okay. And then when I had people around the holidays, start saying stuff to me at the gym, um, like just people I've spoken to sometimes, but not really, uh, that much. And then having family members say stuff to me, I was like, all right, well, this is, you know, no, I'm not sick. This is, I'm doing this to myself. Um, but yeah, so that's, that explains the break in discord. I'll be back and chatting it up in there probably around like Tuesday or Wednesday, a bunch, but we have like news and rumors to get to. And I think the biggest news is that Kevin Rant dealing with that sprained right MCL, um, that he suffered against the heat, Jimmy Butler barreling into his leg. I saw some people say that Jimmy Butler aimed for his leg and I'm just, I don't know. I watched it a bunch of times. I didn't see the game live. I want to make that clear, but I no, it didn't seem like Jimmy Butler was aiming to get into Kevin Durant's leg. 
Um, Kevin Ray will now be out. It seems like at least a month. Um, I'm curious to see what the ramp up will be like for him just because he is 34. Um, he was averaging over 36 minutes per game. Uh, I know a lot of people were, and I'm not a doctor, although the, the glue guys, the Brooklyn Nets podcast for the athletic, I did check out their episode um, because I saw that they had Raj Patel on a uh, doctor and he was talking about uh, the injury. And I think this was my stance that was important. He, he didn't seem to think that playing time was tied to this injury. Jimmy, but like go back and look at it. Jimmy Butler, just like Kevin Durant's like crumpled to bet. Like that's what the explanation is for this. And I will say, I don't know how many minutes you want Kevin Durant to play. Ideally, he was 27th in minutes per game over the, you know, since basically the before Thanksgiving, since November 23rd. And that was at 34.7 minutes. So he was under 35 minutes per game for a lot of this dominant net stretch, which probably had a lot to do with maybe how dominant some of the performances were. I don't know how low you would have wanted his minutes to be. I guess ideally, like, yeah, you'd like to see him at like 31, 32. The Nets were so reliant on him. And those minutes, I think you can argue, were just like a bear for him because he's been really important to them on defense this year too. And I kind of, you know, not that I misspoke, but I think I undervalued his defense at one point this year. And then going back and kind of looking at the assignments that he's taken on some of the help rim protection he's provided. He's had an incredible year, both offensive and defensively. And so those minutes were, they were fucking bad. I totally get it. But how few minutes do you want him to play? He's one of the best players in the league. And so if you wanted him under 32 minutes, you know, I don't, I don't know. And that's not going to change the outcome of this injury anyway, to me, at least. So I can't get too caught up in his playing time. When it was the beginning of the year and it was just routinely, oh, he was logging 40 minutes um, at the start of the regular season in these games. Yeah, I was concerned. But it seems like because the Nets were winning and just under Jacques Vaughn, the minutes have been a little bit more in check. And so I just can't bring myself to, yeah, I care about that. And he seems to have these injuries every year uh, now. But like, I can't, I, I don't know that I need to harp that we collectively need to harp on the the playing time issue with this. It's a big injury. Um, this came from the glue guys podcast too. I don't know how like important or relevant it is, but there they tweeted this as well. It says just to recap the last time KD went out with a knee injury, the nets were 27 and 15. They're 27 and 13 right now. The nets were second in the East and they're second in the East. Now, by the time KD came back, the nets were 32 and 31 eighth in the East. Harden was traded. The season completely tanked. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen this year, mostly because James Harden isn't going to request a trade from the Nets. But more ideally, I think the fact that you're not dealing with Kyrie Irving only playing in home games, um, you're going to have him available every night. That should help. Uh, I like the fit of this team better uh, than I do like sort of last year. And also the fact that you know you were waiting for Ben Simmons to come back last year and that was never going to happen. Then you're dealing with the James Harden stuff on top of that. I think the Nets are better equipped to navigate this absence. I will say, when you go and look at their schedule, um, I don't think they get any sort of breaks here. And this is also, this coincides with what I think is like their biggest national TV stretch. So before the, it's, you know, Kevin Durant slated a month would bring him right back around the trade deadline if he returns right there. But this could, you just wonder, like, could they maybe try and buy time until the All-Star break or something, like around that February 15th, 16th area? And the Nets have 11 games on national TV including Thursday's matchup with the Celtics between then um, and the all-star break. So that's just like, you know, the schedule they play the, you know, they're going to play Boston on Thursday. That's tough. OKC. That's not a pushover, but then you get San Antonio Phoenix without Devin Booker. And they've been kind of a mess. The jazz have pulled back. Golden state's going to have Steph Curry back by then. So that's, that's food for thought. Philly's been killing it. Yet Detroit, the Knicks are on the come up. Then the Lakers, the Lakers are kind of on the come up right now too. And Anthony Davis feels like he might be coming back soon. Boston again, Washington and eh. the Clippers are just Jekyll and Hyde. Phoenix is Booker back by that point. That's February 7th, right before the trade deadline. 
the Bulls, which version of the Bulls are you going to get? Then Philly again on February 11th. Um, February 13th is the Knicks. February 16th is the Heat. February 24th. Uh, yeah, February 15th is the, the Heat. And so, like, that's a fairly, like, in terms of gimme games, if Kevin Durant was healthy, you look at the Thunder, the Spurs, maybe both those, like the Detroit game for sure. And then I would say both, like at least one of the Phoenix games. And you consider like Utah or Chicago in that vein. So like, this isn't really an easy stretch. There's just more parity in general. So I talk myself into every team having this hard ass schedule, not an ideal time for KD to go down. Um, I'm interested to see what they do, like running the lineups and how the offense really works without him. I think right now when you're starting um, Claxton, Durant, Irving, O'Neal, and Simmons, the easiest thing to do from my perspective would be just to slot Seth Curry in there. Maybe you try and give that spot to a Joe Harris, hoping that helps him come alive, but just replace Kevin Durant with another shooter around um, Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. The offense is more interesting to me in how it functions because this is a team that felt like it really streamlined its, its process after Steve Nash was shown the door. And I guess you could still go that route without Kevin Durant, but that puts a lot on the shoulders of Kyrie Irving. So I'm just wondering two of the things I'll look for. And by the way, this is a team that like gets out in transition more than you think. And so it's not, you know, do they, do they have to play a ton faster? Their transition frequency is actually fairly up there. I'm more wondering like they're third in ISOs, um, the frequency with which they rely on ISOs. I think only Philly and Dallas are the teams that rely on that more. Uh, are we going to see them go with a more conventional pick and roll? Are they really, they're not, I mean, you can run that with Kyrie Irving, but that's like, that's never been Ben Simmons's game either. If you're putting the ball in his hands more, um, can you see more off ball movement might be the thing that you could look to. Um, but I think when you're looking at whose minutes might increase, it's going to be by committee. I wouldn't pinpoint any one player and you already had some guys like Rice O'Neal playing pretty heavy minutes and, and Irving as well, playing a bunch of minutes as um, too. I think I would be just curious to see like, can they get more dribble penetration towards the basket? And like, let's really lean into that with Ben Simmons can be a driving force of that. Um, I'm, you know, maybe even like testing Nick Claxton out from the outside in a little bit more because he's shown some flashes of that. I don't know if this leads them to rely on a Patty Mills or a TJ Warren or a, you know, Cam Thomas even more. Um, but I think because this is a team that is so reliant on kind of the in-between range since Kevin Durant does exist. And then what you get from a, a Kyrie Irving as well. Um, I would be curious to see if they can figure out ways to get to the basket more. And they certainly have the spacing to do that. I'm just, is it more of let's put the ball in Simmons's hands and ask him to create. That's going to be a big one for them because they've sort of insulated him against having to have this super high offensive usage or have this mission critical offensive role even. Um, and that's just, you know, that's going to be the biggest question mark for me. I could see them. I can't see them getting better defensively without them, but I can see them sort of, treading water defensively to where they are now, where they're not getting substantially worse. I do think, you know, this is a team that it has climbed its way to um, ninth in points allowed per possession, um, but they're like one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the league. And I think Kevin Rance almost, you know, defensive rebounding numbers are down, but like is almost important to the way that they um, can defensive rebound better. So losing him is kind of a big deal there. It's how much do you trust? Like if it's going to be a Utah Watanabe or a TJ Warren or more minutes for Harrison Curry, to be sort of a part of front court rebounding. Um, that's something that could harm them. They're not relying on getting the foul line on their offense, which is like good, but also just now you taking one of your primary shooting foul threats out of the, the, the game too. And so that's something that could pull back. That's why the offense is just endlessly fascinating to me. And I think the player I'm going to be watching most closely here, aside from Kyrie Irving 
is probably just Ben Simmons just to see like, does his usage change at all? Or are they trying to empower him to do things that he isn't necessarily doing right now because he was inoculated just based off sort of their, their offensive structure. I, I, I honestly don't necessarily know what the answer is. I would look to see though, if there could be more, there's been ball movement under Jacques Vaughn. Like, is there going to be more player body movement now with Kevin Durant at not because he needs to slow, like, things down i think you can run the offense they've been running with Kyrie and kim that's what you do that's how you optimize those guys but almost by virtue of necessity and so overall i think when you look at this roster and what they've been able to accomplish and what we've sort of seen from guys like royce o'neill lights out um this year from downtown and also been better defensively i think a lot of people thought he was cooked nick claxton having a breakout campaign should probably be i haven't gone through all defense yet but he's probably like he's in the discussion for an all defense spot especially because you don't need positions for those um, and then I, I like Kyrie's been, you know, he's had his like games where he just, his efficiency feels like it disappears, but then it'll just come alive in the fourth quarter. You need him to come up huge. I think you need better play from Joe Harris is like his ankle bothering him at all. And I guess you could look if you're the Nets, like, does this increase the urgency for you to go out on the trade market and try and find somebody or something? I don't think so just because it's like, well, who are you going after? You don't want this Kevin Durant facsimile because one, he doesn't exist. And two, this is supposed to be a month, maybe a you know, month and a half more. If they're going to try and push this towards the all-star break, maybe they're winning without him or doing better. Uh, if they can come out of this stretch though, and they're like 500 or close to it, that's, that's just a monstrous win for them. But they do. I mean, if they really wanted to, like they have first round picks to trade, they have some interest, interesting, like salary matching tools. Um, would there be a team that would roll the dice on Joe Harris has a year left on his contract after this one, I believe. And just, if you're a team, that's not, maybe invested in winning now or just needs more shooting. That's a number that's certainly workable for you. He's at 18.6. It's just not astronomical. So can you build out something around that? And because Claxton's played so well, um, like, do you look at like, does Dayron Sharp have any value on the open market? Um, so you could look at dangling sort of a package along those lines, but who are you targeting? It's just, just like an Eric Gordon might help you buy time, but it's just like Dayron Sharp and, uh, Joe Harris getting you Eric Gordon. I'm not giving up a first for Eric Gordon at this point. Um, and then you're also still sort of downsizing on the wings there. I think it's fine. Like this team doesn't need to be super big. That's just not the way that they're going to be built to play. Um, but I don't know. I just don't look at the trade market as sort of, they you, they could have used like some reinforcements up front. Like this would be a team that if they can figure out a way to latch on to Jay Crowder in a three-team deal, just because I don't know if they have anything that Phoenix would really want in a straight up deal. That's just something for them to monitor. I don't think that changes. Or if they wanted some different looks at center, even though you have Claxton and you have Simmons and those minutes with them together have gotten better. Um, I wonder what those minutes are going to look like. One, how often do they go to them when um, when Kevin Durant isn't there? Because he's just a big part of, I mean, just he's fucking Kevin Durant. He's a big part of making everything work. But those were like a big part of why those were successful at all. And so when you actually dig into like some of their lineup data, they actually haven't tried Simmons and Claxton independent of Kevin Durant much they're at sub 100 possessions for that duo without Kevin Durant and they have a minus 34.4 net rating and so that's that's really just something to to keep an eye on and um, you can't you can't get away from that especially now because those are your like two your two most important defenders on this team um but they have a plus 8.8 net rating those two when they play with Durant so there's that huge drop off there and they haven't explored it a ton those so that was like those are the two biggest things I'm looking towards. Nothing really on the trade market. If they were still going to trade for a big or some front court help, I don't think this changes that because Kevin Rand is stated to come back. You're going to be in the mix. Just a mission critical stretch though for the Nets. There's not a lot of margin for error in the East. It's good that they've worked their way up to second. It's impressive. I think 
I've probably slept on them as a contender, been unfairly pulling Kevin Durant back in the MVP discussion, as we talked about last podcast. Um, but they may be third as I record this or tied for second, however you want to frame it. They are, you know, six losses back of the eighth place Miami Heat. And so it's really just like um that that can change over this stretch in a month. Like in one bad stretch, if they're going to drop back and they're all of a sudden in play in territory, it could happen. You don't want to put all this on Kevin Durant's return because if he comes back and you all of a sudden you're gonna need to have him on a minutes limit, like there's gonna need to be a grace period here. And you don't want to have to increase his minutes or just throw him back baptism by fire too quickly. This dude is 34 and he's dealing with a lot of lower body injuries. It seems like every single season. And so, yeah, uh, huge, obviously, because Kevin Durant's out. I do think the Nets will be fine overall. Do they still end up top four in the East? I don't know, but as long as his recovery goes according to plan, I do think that they're built to like, maybe, you know, play close to 500 without this. And if they can't, like that's going to have to open up some more fundamental wholesale questions. Because if you remember, Kevin Durant did say one of the reasons he requested a trade is like he saw how bad the team was playing last year when he was out. And so like, let's see how that sort of works now. Some other news just to bounce around here. Uh, LeBron James and had the interview with the athletic Sam Amick. And then he came out. So the, the line that came out of the Sam Amick interview was y'all know what the fuck should be happening. I don't need to talk as LeBron was getting on the bus. Um, then LeBron replied on Twitter. Hey, Sam, actually, my patience isn't waning. You make it sound like I'm frustrated when I'm really not. I told you over and over, my job is focused on the guys in the locker room. My job is in the roster. That's that's the reality of that conversation. And I said what I said with the ut- utmost respect and calmness because that's the mood I'm in. You're welcome. Five-game winning streak. Uh, so LeBron out against Denver as I record this. I will say, Amick, I don't have a problem with what came out of the discussion. Amick posted the full transcript of the combo. And LeBron has thrown enough just not so subtle passive aggressive shots in the past to know what he's doing. If he feels the need to respond on Twitter, that's I don't have a problem with that either, but there's, he wants the Lakers to trade the picks. Like that's the framing for the Lakers making a trade. Uh, And he should, I think when you look at this from a franchise perspective, they've been so incompetent optimizing LeBron James and the roster around him that there's no trade that's going to salvage this season. So why would you trade those picks? You're slated to have cap space this summer regroup then see what's available at that time yes lebron's going into his age 39 season but you can't just trade the picks for the sake of trading the picks and i will also say and i struggled with this i said it in discord and this is this is the low-hanging fruit episode as i'm just bouncing around the news and rumor mill but like this isn't lakers content i've actually struggled with how much is lebron responsible for this he supports the westbrook trade and then he signs the extension at a time when he knows that he won't be able to be traded this season and so my my sympathy is limited there. At the same time, he's playing at an all NBA level. He's LeBron fucking James. You have an obligation to not suck around him. It's so like, I, I don't want to both sides this. I understand both sides. I ultimately just end up at what is the deal that's out there if you're trading one or both of these picks? Who is the best player that you can get this season? Is it even Miles Turner anymore? I don't know. And if it is Miles Turner, you know, that deal that we've talked about, they can get Miles Turner without giving up Russ. But part of that deal was getting Buddy healed. And so if you're trading Russ to get Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, Russ has been probably overrated off the bench, but he has become important as sort of a, a self-starter in the offense. And so now you're bringing in Miles Turner, you're diminishing your self-creation arsenal, unless you really just trust what Dennis Schroeder is doing. He's averaging like 1.5 possessions in ISOs this year. So maybe that's, how, that's, maybe that's where you're at. So you're doing that. And then also, oh, Anthony Davis was tearing up the league while he was at the center position. Like what? Like So 
I don't even know that that make trade makes sense for the Lakers now, even though Miles Turner is a fantastic player. Can you get Fred Van Fleet, Gary Trent Jr., and other money um, from the Raptors, and you're dangling those picks? That would be the trade that interests me. The Kyrie Irving ship has sailed. Does Bradley Beal or Zach Levine demand a trade to you? I guess that would be worth discussing if either of those two do that. I just don't know the trade that's out there for the Lakers to make. And so can they just do something where it's okay, you have none, his expiring contract, you have some other just like, you know, even if it's Lonnie Walker, the fourth, um, his expiring money, uh, you have Patrick Beverly's expiring money at 13 million. Can you just get somebody to maybe increase the the shooting on this roster, the size on the wings on this roster? Um, is there a Cam Reddish, Evan Fournier trade to make? Like I know Evan Fournier is on the books for next year, but do you just, if you're saving your first round picks, it's only a one-year deal. Are you a Lakers team that envisions yourself actually using that cap space anyway? Maybe you don't want to do that. I totally get it then. But like, you have the money to where you could bring back other money. It feels like they could be a team. It's just that Eric Gordon is so small. They could easily bring in Eric Gordon. I think that's someone who improves them. But again, they get so small. And that's what's like, uh, that's why he's just not like necessarily a quintessential fit for them. This is all to say, I find the LeBron comments interesting because he's clearly his patience. Maybe his patience isn't waning because they've been winning, but like he wants them to make upgrades. I think they're obligated to do that. Now, are they obligated to make the home run swing? I don't know anymore, but I, I also don't think I'm not going to overlook LeBron's role in all this. Like I said, sympathy is limited, but it's a fan of basketball who's enjoyed what LeBron James is doing and just understands like the responsibility you have when someone like him is on your roster. I'm going to side more with LeBron's thought process here and also say, um, you know, Rob Plinka said they were custodians of LeBron's legacy. And so like he came out and said that he didn't have to say that that's on him. And the other thing is, even if LeBron, I've said this before, pushed for all these other moves that you didn't like, it's on the organization, the front office, to not make those moves then. Just because LeBron says that the moves need to be made or he supports them, okay, that might make you feel better about, thank you, Siri, for transcribing this entire podcast, apparently. Um, just because LeBron supports it, yeah, okay, maybe it makes it easier to make a move in the grand scheme, but that doesn't mean that you just go ahead and do it. Like You have to, as the front office, operate with that independency of LeBron James as great as he is. And I guess they're trying to do that now. I'm just not going to commend it because they've, they've just fucked up to this point so often. I just, where I land is you got to try and scope out the medium sized deals. Is there something that you can get done without giving up a first round pick at this point? If there were players though available, um, I, you know, if, if the Fred Van Fleet GTJ situation is available, those are guys you can say, well, we'll just sign them in free agency with cap space. One, you're not going to afford both. And two, there's value in just getting them on, on your books now. Um, I don't know where I land with the Miles Turner stuff. I will say, I don't think those picks are as valuable as people believe. They probably had more cachet at the start of the, the season, if not during the offseason. But there are a few things here to look at. And I, I mentioned this in our Discord the other day, is... I do think that in the next collective bargaining agreement, we're going to see at least a couple years worth of windows where free agency is more of a hotbed for talent acquisition than it has been. And if, if the Lakers can plan their books accordingly, they will be involved in the biggest names. And so I would certainly say maybe the 2029 pick doesn't have a lot of value just because you think that they're going to stumble into a star or two on the free agent market. Yes, they might be limited in how they can trade for a star, but they could sign one in free agency if a star hits free agency. And I believe that free agency maybe may not change permanently, but just how extensions work. Like once we get into that 2027 area, there are going to be guys that are, that are hitting during that new TV deal that want to hit the open market. And so if the Lakers have money to spend, they will just be in the mix because they are the Lakers and they are in Los Angeles. So, 
teams are going to view it that way. And also executives, they're not going to necessarily have the confidence. They're the ones making these picks. It's easier to get back all these dis distant first rounders when they're not, let's not even call them secondary assets, but when they're part of this larger asset pile, when your primary trade asset or asset that is coming back in a deal isn't conveying for closer to a half decade than not, it's just tougher to stomach because you don't have the job security to know you're going to be around. The Lakers aren't giving you a first round pick this year in any trade that happens this season. Uh, they're not giving you a blue chip prospect. Like are you going to, if they are willing to give you Austin Reeves, like are you really like taking a victory lap for that? I don't, maybe. So I think it gets harder to sell as the primary turn on a really good player. Now, if it's just sort of the Lakers are willing to overpay and it's a throwaway and you're the Pistons and it's playing by Donovich. Yeah. I think it gets easier to, to justify that. But when we're talking about a non-star, or a we're talking about a star or what could be a core piece for this team moving forward. I just, without any other accessory assets to attach that are super intriguing, it gets harder to sell as a top end package. Something else I want to touch on. John Collins gave an interview to Sam Amick of the athletic where the poll quote was, I don't give a damn about whether I'm traded or not. I thought the whole interview was interesting and, and fairly candid and, and Collins has been candid in the past. His value has just fallen so much. I'm I want him off the Hawks. Like it feels like everyone in this situation just needs a reboot. He does seem to think that the Hawks have a higher ceiling than they've shown, and I would I would agree with him. But he's just the roster, even with Capella being injured right now, it's not built to optimize him. And I really want to see him moved. And my favorite destinations are I think the Pacers. Um, and hat tip, uh, Rhett Bauer. We've had conversations about this on the side. Just if you're going to keep Miles Turner, I think Collins makes a lot of sense because you have uh, the ability to play Collins like a five on offense and then like a four on defense. And so I'd love to see him in Indiana. I kind of just love to see him in Utah because they run so many like five out stuff now, but you could also play him with Walker Kessler and they could even go Larry Market in there as well. There was the report from Shams that the Jazz wanted multiple first round picks to take on his deal. If that's where we're at with John Collins, 78.5 million left over the next three years, I, you know, I, that's just wild to me. I would give up a first round pick. The, the idea that I'd bounced around that Rhett had bounced off me. He wasn't sure if the Pacers would do it. Would you do Chris Duarte and those two like sort of bottom feeding picks from Boston and Cleveland for John Collins? I would do it if I was the Pacers. But my question is, do you have to do it? Like, are you able to get away with one first round pick? Is it even cost that? I'm not someone who's like super high on Chris Duarte, but if you're Indiana, why would you give up that much equity if that's just not John Collins' trade value? So I I want to see him elsewhere. Those are my two favorite destinations. I think if you're looking at other teams, let's get like fun here. I would kind of like to see him in Miami with Bam. That would be something where you can't really use him as a five on offense per se, but you could run just inverted pick and rolls with John Collins and Bam out of bio if you really wanted to. Uh, I kind of for a minute thought about would he be fun in Milwaukee? Like, is there a way to get him there? And I think he would be fun, but I'm not sure if he's exactly what they need. Uh, and then you're all of a sudden, so Giannis, Collins, Lopez, like how many games are those teams closing? As You have Bobby Portis, who is arguably even better than John Collins this season. Um, Dallas, his name that comes up, I just don't see them. Like, I, I don't know what the package is because they're not giving you a first round pick and they just don't have a lot of attractive money on the table. Uh, Memphis for a minute was interesting. Just imagine Jared Jackson Jr. and Collins in the front court. Are you trading Steven Adams in that deal? Probably not. The why would the Hawks want him? And it, you're really looking at a prospect and then salary, a prospect and a pick, and then or salary. So that gets really tough. Uh it, Oklahoma City would be fun. It's just too tough to get to the salary matching for them right now. They're not going to trade Lou Dort or SGA. And so it's just a mess after that. Phoenix has been mentioned. Don't really love him there. Portland could be kind of fun. Don't love him with Nurkic, though. 
Sacramento's, I don't think they're going to have any interest, even though they were intrigued uh, when Sabonis was there. I kind of thought of San Antonio is just sort of like a, if they went the, you know, Doug McDermott, Josh Richardson route for John Collins, like would the Hawks just do that to break him up into smaller contracts? And then you try and reboot Collins' value as a member of the Spurs. I don't hate that one. Like that was just the other team that I was semi intrigued by for him. So I, here's hoping John Collins gets traded. I just want to see him if he wants to get traded. I don't want to, you know, campaign on his behalf, but it seems like he wants to get traded, but is going to come short of saying it. And I, it feels like both sides need to move on at this point. I still think that there's like a fringe all-star player in there somewhere. And so why not, you know, get him somewhere where we could explore it more. So I'm pulling for Indy. I'd love to see it in Miami. Um, and kind of even, I wouldn't mind seeing it in Toronto either. I just don't know if Toronto would be like kind of aboard that train, but Indy and Miami might be my two favorites with like my third. I know I said Utah probably up there for sure. Um, maybe, maybe San Antonio. I'd like to say like, those are the four teams. I just be like, Hey, like let's go take a shot on John Collins, please. But anyone seriously, please, for the love of God, just, just rescue him. Uh, last thing I want to touch on is the Raptors which we've talked about them more in detail, um, but this came from Tim Bontemps' article that the uh, sources said there was, at the beginning of the season, a four-year, $114.2 million extension on the table. That's the max Toronto could offer. Both sides kind of elected that it was fine to wait. He can sign it before June 30th, um, so there's no rush, is what Van Fleet had said. That was also via TSN's Josh Lewenberg. Just kind of weird. Van Fleet's efficiency is down on catch-and-shoot threes. Um, he also, like, it just feels like he peters out in game sooner now. I don't know if that's a function of how the Raptors defend, how many minutes he's playing, some combination of both. Uh, so I don't, I think the extension would still be on the table now. I don't think that he's played himself away from that. I'm just curious whether he's played himself out of much money on the open market this year. There'll be some additional cap space on the table. Is there a team out there that's going to be impulsive enough to just throw him a fringe max though, that has room? Uh, I don't know. Like Detroit is not going to do it. Indy's not going to do it. Uh, you know, I like who else is slated to have cap space at this point? Um, maybe Orlando, would they do it? The Spurs, are they going to do it? I, mm, so, like, I, I don't know if he's cost himself money on the market. OKC is not going to do it. Um, I don't, and the Spurs won't do it. I think you could circle Sacramento could technically have cap space this year, but we don't, I don't they're not going to be in the Fred Van Fleet sweepstakes. Orlando would be like the team. And maybe, I mean, like, no, the late the Lakers too. The the Lakers and maybe the Magic. I just don't know how much leverage that gives him. I think he would probably get more than the extension, maybe including from the Raptors. Um, so I, I kind of don't expect him to sign it. But if he co- sort of continues down this path, being a small guard, it might behoove him to just lock up the financial security. He was right saying though that he has outplayed his current contract. Tim Bontemps would also mention that people around the league are waiting to see whether the Raptors will sort of blow it up because there's not a lot of sellers right now. We've heard that ad nauseum, yada, 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 yada. They've also just been bad over their last 20 games or so. They are now t- uh, 12th in the East at 17 and 23. We've seen their defense slip. The offense has the same problems that you think about. There's just not a lot of bankable depth on this team right now. I don't know what the Raptors are going to do. They're sort of, they feel like tight lipped when it comes to these trade uh, rumors where, yeah, things will leak out, but what do you really expect? Um, to find from them what they what they do is going to sort of just be you know stealth and we'll find out about it either right before it happens or after it actually happens i just would reiterate that one i don't think this season's unsalvageable for toronto and so there are deals out there to upgrade their roster where they're not let's say it's not a star but like they're not giving up a, a shit ton of equity draft equity i just wouldn't put it past Masai to take the swing because there's a talent at the top of this roster especially if you believe in scotty barnes who's played a little bit better lately i would say 
however, even if the Raptors sort of elect to just like punt on this season, there's no guarantee it is in tandem with this blow up. They could just, you know, shut down Siakam and Van Fleet, then extend Siakam and re-sign Van Fleet over the summer. Do the same thing with Ananobi. See what they have in their young guys. Maybe you trade some ancillary players, but you're not. You don't have to go the blow up route. I do think Gary Trent Jr. gets traded. That's the prediction I will make here. Uh, I do think there's a higher than expected chance that they do sort of a quasi blow up where it's no. I don't know why you trade Siakam. I know he's older, but that's just an All NBA player right now, fringe All NBA player. He's he's really good. Unless you're doing the full scale teardown, why would you move him? And I'm surprised how many people are just like, well, let's see if they put OG Ananobi on the open market. I just, he's so young. Why are you, you're the Raptors. Like, why isn't he just a part of, even if you're rebuilding or even if you're reloading, why are you getting, why are you getting rid of him of all players? It's yeah. Okay. Maybe you don't want to worry about his next deal to be his third contract. And so if you're getting a really high end rookie scale prospect, but just like, you're probably not. You're not going to get the Donovan Mitchell trade package or Rudy Gobert trade package or OG Ananobi uh, would be my prediction. And then like, you're probably just not even getting, and I had a conversation with someone on the side about this. You're not even getting Benedict Matherin from the Pacers in an OG Ananobi trade. And so it's just like, what are you really getting? Let's say you get two good first. So without like a three good first package, someone coming over the top or the equivalent in prospects, I just don't actually know why they would even consider moving him. And that's like why I'm not, you know, disenchanted with the idea of a Raptors blow up. I actually think they, they need to, I would probably explore moving Gary Trent jr. And then everyone else who's not Siakam Barnes and Ananobi. I just feel like Van Fleet, his next deal, getting rid of his shot creation is super tough, but like, let's, let's keep yourselves a little leaner or look towards other different trade packages to where can you, um, can you diversify your creation and go out? And if you really want to one, actually, like kind of explore the the playmaking depth of a Scotty Barnes, then just, yeah, like kind of trade one of the safety nets on this team, or can you get a higher end creator via trade over the off season with some of the picks and prospects you accumulate from Fred Van Fleet. And so it's more of a matter of, okay, we're inflating our lottery odds this year. Let's just say by moving Van Fleet and Gary Trent jr. We're shutting some guys down here, maybe seeing what Scotty Barnes can offer. Is there anything left from like a Malachi Flynn here? Uh, let's just really unlock Christian Coloco and see if he can block and swallow the world at this point. And then you're getting assets and prospects in return to build up what would be a better trade package over the summer. What I do think the trade landscape is actually going to be pretty, we'll have different podcasts about this maybe later on there, but I actually think the trade market's going to be like pretty uh, like bumping, like as the kids from the nineties might say, uh, I think that the trade market is going to be super interesting over the summer this year. And so you're more equipped then to make that move. And also I would say, I don't know if I want to be a part of Van Fleet's next contract. He is so good. And I think his game should age fairly well but if you're talking like four years and near max money for him as a smaller guard this year does give me some kind of pause and the limitations he has as an actual point guard where i do think he's improved over the past couple of years as someone who's not though going to necessarily buoy your half court offense on his own um having sort of this 1.5 level of scoring if you want to call it that rather than every level scoring it does worry me and that's not a shot at him and so i would look at moving van fleet also because i think you get real value for him just because of the dearth of sellers on the market right now However, I would kind of bet against the full scale scale tear, tear down. A Siaka move doesn't feel like a midseason trade. That would actually floor me. I won't rule anything out in hashtag this league, but it would actually floor me. Ananobi, that's the question. Is I wish I had Grant on this podcast. Is who's more likely to be traded midseason? And I don't think either of them do. But like, who would be more likely? 
OG Ananobi or Siakam. That's something I'm going to pose to you, the listeners, but Grant at some point. But yeah, so I don't think the Raptors season is unsalvageable. And I think the noise would kind of like, that's a decision they're going to make probably right at the trade deadline is let's see where they are in a few weeks, um, getting closer to the trade deadline around the end of January, beginning of February. But I, I do think the team, they are a team to just keep an eye on because I, I do believe they could talk themselves into being like medium sized sellers, in which case that changes the landscape for a lot of teams that might be on the market desperate for a buy now play. Um, we'll be back at some point this week, Grant and I, with a couple of episodes, just wanted to get that, uh, some of these news and rumor notes off my chest. If there's anything that you want to ask me, feel free to DM me, get in our discord The link has in the podcast and YouTube description. Um, and until next time, please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I'll mention again, just because we're getting downvoted again, I will say by the same Knicks fan, unless it's just a coincidence that it's Lays, Laz, Knicks fan or whatever it is. And there's just different versions of numbers. They are committed to downvoting us on Apple. So if you want to go over there, whether you use Apple or not, really help juice the, the podcast charts or help us improve upon a rating that's apparently dropping because I don't even know what we said. Um, we would really appreciate it. Beyond that, though, until next time, and as always, I leave it the shout out to one, the only, the legendary Frank Mila Kina. <laughs>